don't really worry a whole lot, Paul said, about their motives and all, if they're right or wrong. I want Jesus to be preached. But, but I back up these four things, which would simplify a lot of marriages, simplify a lot of churches. Uh, it would simplify really all of our lives if we could just really focus. we got so many cameras and telescopes. We know about focus. And you look through the binoculars and everything is so blurry, but there's that little thing up there. You, you move it around and everything is so sharp. And what if we could do it in the church? What, you know, what does it matter? If we'd ask that about everything, well, what does it matter? Uh, and then the important thing is means let's concentrate on the things that really count. So one thing led to another, and I came up with a series that you're going to get two of today, and it was on things that really matter. And I'm going to tell you all four of them, and you get two of them today, but one of them is recognizing and accepting the sovereignty of an almighty God. I just wonder today if as fast as we live, if we ever, ever really focus on who God really is and how we really ought to feel before Him. And that's the lesson you're going to get this morning in class, accepting the sovereignty of an almighty God. And I think even the title sounds heavy, so we'll have to explain that as we go along. Second one is honor and respect for the Word of God. And I don't even really mean the principles of... Uh, of hermeneutics that will help us solve every issue. I don't even mean that. I mean an overall feeling about this Word. And that's what you're going to get in the, in the worship service. The way we really ought to feel about this book that God wrote to us. And an awe and a respect for this book. And when we're talking homosexuality or we're talking any issue, there seems to be a famine of people asking, well, does the Bible say anything about this? And respecting that, God's Word says, rather than, I see a lot, don't you? I see a lot of people today, when you read them what the Word of God says, well, they say, well, I, yeah, I know it says that, but... And we find some way to just throw away the Word of God. And we need honor and respect for the Word of God. So I won't spend much time on that one because you'll get that one at the next service. My other two were, and I kind of surprised myself as I was... Uh, building sermons, Evan, is such fun because you get to just sort of let your mind go, <coughs> go and your prayer life go. And the third one was the church as Jesus really intended. I think a lot of times the church is like the guy that had the axe that he, he claimed dated all the way back to George Washington. The guy said, it doesn't look that old. And he said, well, it is. This axe belongs. It's the very one that chopped down the cherry tree. It's one. He said, now it has had three new blades and five new handles, but aside from that, it's the same old axe. And I think maybe what we've done in the church is that. We just keep moving and changing. And does the church today look at it? And, and again, I don't refer doctrinally or organizationally as much as our, what it should be. I mean, what Jesus intended the church should be. And I think that's a good lesson for us. And the, the fourth one surprised me because I finally came up with the joy of my salvation. Things that really matter. What do Christians have that nobody else has? I think there's a lot of people in the world feel sorry for us living in the church because we live such restricted lives. And I think a lot of people in the church think about the good old days. Boy, I used to party and I used to do this. And we talk about it like it was the good old days. What have we got? that other people don't have, 
how do we show it and how do we share it? So if those are interesting to you, I'll come back and do them. I, I'm so busy I couldn't come back before Monday. But anyway, but it was just a lot of fun doing those. Let me read you a couple of verses. And I just said to Mary on the way over here this morning, I wish, it been the one thing I really miss in, in 10 years since I've been retired, I miss a consecutive class. I really do. Because you don't have to hurry. I can drive down a peg and say, let's, let's work on that and you guys do this this week and next week we'll pick it up and oh. And I would like to take these four lessons and teach it in about a quarter, about 13 weeks. But we're not going to be able to do that. And so I'm uh, going to read you a few verses. And open your Bibles to page one. Page one. You know where it says in the first two words, first two verses, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was. When I was in high school, that's been so far back I can't hardly remember, but I remember in our science class they said, scientists have divided everything in the world in five things. Time, being, force, space, and matter. Time, being, force, space, and matter. Now, I don't know that this matters a whole lot, but all five of those are in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, that's time. God, being. Created, that's force. The heavens, that's space. And the earth, that's matter. And God said, way back in the beginning. I don't understand the beginning. You don't either. What was before the beginning? Well, there wasn't any. Well, you know, and we stumble over all of those things. But there was a time when the God of the universe stood before a nothing. I started to say a mass, but he stood before nothing first. Because God always was. And that will wrap you up in all kind of discussion. But God said, let there be light. And it happened. Uh, I would like to read, I'm not going to. I would like to read Exodus 19 and about 10 or 12 verses there. Exodus 20 and about 10 or 12 verses there. When, when the Almighty God gave the Ten Commandments. Uh, we need to see, because see, it's the same God we have today. Uh, fire and mountain shook. And the people refrained from relations with their wives and everything else as they got ready to go up before Moses. And they were scared to death. And he comes down with a veil over his face because God Almighty spoke. And we even need and use sometimes movies like the Ten Commandments to show... And the finger of God comes down and writes down, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, I don't know what happened like they portrayed with Charlton Heston. But it had to be something like that or better. And then there's the Ten Commandments that God gives out. That is the foundation, like it or not, of every civilized nation on earth. I don't know what they believe about God or about the Ten Commandments, but any civilization that's surviving on the earth today does so because of a lifestyle and laws that protect 
basically what the Ten Commandments say. And then you could go to Revelation chapter 1, and John was permitted to look into heaven. And some of those visions are really good for us because the thing you want to see about it is the awesomeness of God. And He portrays in that marvelous way about He had His hair was white as snow and His eyes blazed and His raiment was this and that, you know. And it was just an awesome thing. And I think sometimes if I were teaching it in the class, we would just read that slowly and carefully to understand the awesomeness of an almighty God. Because we need that in our world today. There is a flippancy about God. Hey, Daddy, Big Daddy, and this, oh, the big man upstairs. And I, 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 don't want to, I really don't want to be picky. I really don't. But I think with that, and that's a key word, it's my opinion, that people get very flippant about God. Well, there are three things going back to page one. Stay there in page one about God that I want you to see before we pass on. And that is, there's some words, there's some phrases that show up many, many times. And here's one of them. Uh, God said. See, there it is in verse 1 and 2. And God said. That's, uh, the Bible says that ten times in chapter 1. And God said. You know what the Bible is? The Bible is what God said. Don't you love it in... Uh, and different translations, and they're all good. I grew up with the King James. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and that's a marvelous theme. I like the NIV that says, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, all Scripture is given, uh, let's see, how does it go? I forget, forget exactly. I had it down here. Uh, as, uh, holy, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, I think that's the first Peter one, because that's the two I wanted to give you. But... Uh, uh, oh no, man, alive! I'm gonna, I'm, it's going to bother me until I get there. So I'll just go over there and see it. But in Second Timothy three, and verse uh, fifteen and sixteen, we'll get over there. Let's see in three. Uh, all Scripture is God breathed. Don't you like that? <gasps> like the very essence of God. Now this is one thing to give us a reverence for God and the Bible that nothing else would give us because there isn't any other book like this. People read all kinds of books but the Bible. They read books about the Bible and books about God and all this kind of thing. And then there's all the other books that win Pulitzer Prizes and all this kind of thing. And there is one book, only one, that is God breathed. The Second Peter 1 verse says, Holy men of old spake as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See? So, God. So, it's a revelation. The Bible is a revelation from God, but it's also a revelation of God. God spake. Number two, and it was so. God said, let there be light, and it was so. Now, that phrase is used over and over and over. You know, God spake, and it was so. The thing we need to learn about God is when He says it, it happens. And we need uh, a respect for that today when God speaks on any subject. What God says should settle it because He is God. And what God promises to you today, see, like I had a call since I've been here, Marvin, Sarah, uh, Sarah called me, her mother, mother-in-law. Marvin Bernie died this morning. 
Well, I went to see her yesterday. But when God speaks about the death of a loved one, and all of you have been before those caskets and wonder a thousand questions, you know, will I ever see them again? Are they really going to come out of the grave? Um, are we really going to heaven? Will we really know one another there? How will it be there? I mean, things that, not just doctrinal talking in a Bible class, but things that you think when you lose the most precious loved one in your life. God says, and it was so. When God says it in the Bible, it's so because God says it. Now, there's a third one that happened seven times in page one. And God said, and it was so, and God saw everything he was, that He made, and behold, it was what? Isn't that neat? Are, are you a little afraid of God? Are we a little afraid to obey God? Are we a little afraid that if I give all of my life over and I live God's way, man... You know, I'm going to miss out on a lot of things. We need to be aware of the fact that God spoke and it was so and it was good. Everything God made, it was because of an almighty that was asking the question in His almighty power, what would really be good? And that's what He did. Now let me tell you that Old Testament people, Old Testament greats were in awe of the Almighty. I want to get over to Ezekiel. I wonder if I can even find Ezekiel over here. If you'll uh, look over in your Bible in Ezekiel 44. I want to read you a couple of verses about how we ought to feel about God. Listen to this. Uh, the first four verses of Ezekiel 44. Uh, I, I think that some people had a concept of God that is very easy for us to lose. I think it's very easy for us to get flippant and go to church and, and all we're concerned, and I'm really not minimizing this, all we're concerned about is that it will be scriptural. That's very important. But it ought to get a little deeper than just book. It ought to get to the author. And here's the way people felt about God. And I think that we wouldn't be so uptight about whether someone raises their hands or whatever. And I think it probably we would lose our comfort zone and lose our, uh, whatever it is, about a starchiness if we really, really in our minds understood the sovereignty of a mighty God. Listen to this. Ezekiel 44, 1. Then a man brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, the one facing the east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, This gate is to remain shut. It, was, it must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. The prince himself is the only one who may sit inside the gate to eat in the presence of the Lord. And he is to enter by way of the portico of the gateway and go out the same way. Now you get all of these little things they were very careful about in the presence of God. Verse 4, And then the man brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. A lot of people don't know their Bibles well, and so we preachers quote things like, and here's where you ought to take off your shoes for the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. The bad thing about that, and you guys all have the same color hair I've got, or most of you anyway, and I expect you to understand where that came from when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, and God said to him, take off your shoes. 
because of the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. And I realized today when I said, here's a place where you ought to take off your shoes for the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. And a lot of the younger people say, what's that mean? Because they really like the next session would be, don't know the book like we really ought to know the book. But this verse is that kind of verse because it said, and I looked. And two things I want you to see. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. And I fell face downward. The fact, fact, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I'm not interested in a classroom discussion. Now, what did that really mean? Was there something physical that you could see, ethereal? I, I don't really care. I don't know, and you don't know either, but what I do know is that the glory of the Lord filled the temple. That's fact. Now, here's the response. What do you do about that? And I fell face downward. I think that people had years ago, I know they had it in the Old Testament, a view of God that was awesome. And I think when they prayed to God, it wasn't the Heavenly Father, thank you for the night's rest and bless everybody in the world in Jesus' name, amen. And Jesus stated to the Father, what did He ask us to do? I think it was a little deeper than maybe some of the flippant times that I have with God. The glory of the Lord filled the temple and I fell face downward. See, I'm almost reluctant to give you this illustration because people get off into a long discussion of promise keepers. But I don't mean for you to do that at all. But, but I was there in Washington in 96 when a million men got there. And really the only purpose was, don't get into, we, we don't want to compromise with error. That ought to be a foregone conclusion. Okay, but I was there because the one reason was to get men before God at our capital and get before our nation's capital and before God and confess our sins because we'd not been the men we ought to be and and... Promise God we're going to repent and get right. That's probably a good thing to do for anybody. But all of that is beside the point. The speaker was using this verse. And he said, we've lost something about God. He said, in Old Testament days when the glory of the Lord or when they contemplated the Lord, it affected them bodily. Their knees got weak. They fall and fell on their faces. Something that would make us in some of our churches think the guy was acting like Pentecostals or having some kind of bad thing. But I'm going to tell you, that was a good thing. And the speaker said to us, all of you, and there were a million of us, all of you that are able and willing, would you like to just get down on your knees before the Lord? And we were touching each other. A million of us. There were a quarter of a million, every jumbotron, those huge television screens, and we were, excuse me, excuse me, and getting down on our knees. And then after he said that, he said, you know, if you're willing and you're, and you're able, maybe you'd like to just get on your face before the Lord. And it's one of the few times in my life I have been forehead on the ground and to do that there, we had to do it on each other. We were just laying on strangers. It looked like a battlefield where everybody was killed. 
before the Lord. And I just want to tell you, uh, in the fear of getting off on a discussion that is not needed, that that's a good thing to recover about God. So my first lesson is here, accepting, the, recognizing the sovereignty. See, we're in America and we don't even use the term sovereign. King and mighty one and, and the one on the top and all of that. But I fell on my face before God. Well, Noah, uh, Adam felt that way until his fall. I read in the Bible, Noah did all that God commanded him to do, so he had a feeling about this. I would go to that marvelous, I I would love to spend more time than we usually do, in Genesis 22 where God said to Abraham, Abraham, you know, I've given you that boy after 25 years, and I really need to know, do you know who I am? And would you really, would you do anything I say or would you fuss about it? Would you discuss it away? So I'm going to tell you, that one son, Abraham, take your son. Even look at the way God worded it. Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering before me. Oh, God. We don't spend enough time with between the lines in Scripture. What did he do next? Early the next morning, he did this and went out and raised the knife. And just slow down here. Get into Abraham's life. Put yourself there as if you had been asked. My, my oldest son is Alan. Marvin, take Alan and kill him for me. No, oh God, no. You're a God of love, and, and, and life means, you know, I'd go through all that stuff. And realizing that i got to do it because God is there, what would I go through? The agony, the turmoil. And then Abraham goes with Isaac and his entourage. And he says some absolutely ridiculous words. God said, kill him. And he sees the place where he's supposed to... You've got to get yourself in this picture. He sees the place that God said, that's it, right there. That's where you kill him. And he says to the entourage... You guys stay here. The boy and I will go there and worship God and we will come back to you again. Abraham, i got a few questions. I know. If God said, kill him, how are you? I know that. Do you believe God? I don't know. All I know is that the Almighty has said to me, do it. And though it breaks my heart and exceeds all bounds of reasonableness, I'm going to do it because God said so. How we need that in our world today. How we need that in America today. How we need that in the Tulia Central Church of Christ. I'm going to do what I do because God said so. I can't understand it. It looks wrong. It looks like it's going to hurt me, cost me. It does not look like the way to go. But you see, God said so. So I'm going to do it. That's the way they felt. There's some names of God if you just want to do a study. And I'm not going through that. I wouldn't if I had the time. 
But a good friend of mine, preacher friend of mine, I wrote him. I said, I think you know all the names of God in the Bible. Would you, would you do a little research on that? Because I knew he could. And he sent me this. I want you to see two, three, four, five pages of the names, the primary names of God in the Bible are Elohim in Genesis 1-1, Jehovah in Genesis 2-4, Adonai, the Lord Master. And then you get to the compound names of the Lord God like, like uh, oh my goodness, like Jehovah Jireh, the provider, and Jehovah uh, our peace and, and all these other names of God. Eighty-eight of them. And all of those give you some attribute of God. And I believe that the people in the Old Testament understood these, like El Shaddai, the Almighty. That's my favorite. In the Bible. Genesis 17, 1, God says to Abraham, Abraham! And Abraham says, Yes, Lord! And God says to him, I am the Almighty. Some of these other names may reach you more than that one to me, but that's it for me. That is just so awesome. For God to say to Abraham, I am the Almighty. That's the thing I think is one of the things that really matter that we re recapture and rediscover about God. Now, it takes a personal encounter with Jesus for us to feel this. They had it personally. We're going to have to get it the best way we can get it. But here's what happened in the Bible. Jesus fed the 5,000 in John 6 and they said, what kind of man is this? He walked on water in Matthew 14 and they said, what kind of man is this? He raised Lazarus from the dead, John 11, and they said, what kind of man is this? He was raised from the dead himself, and they said, what kind of man is this? And on Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts, they said, what kind of man is this? And that's the way we're really going to feel if we discover the awesomeness of an almighty God. Let me, let me turn you to Romans. We, we should finish about 10, 15. Isn't that right? Let me get to Romans 8 and show you something here. Kind of make a real, uh, real down-to-earth feeling about who God really is and what, we've, what we need Him to be. In Romans chapter 8, that marvelous, marvelous chapter, verses 31 to 39, it starts off, uh, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? It goes on down to say that, uh, that uh, we, we are more than conquerors and I'm convinced that life and death and all these things cannot keep me from the love of God. And Paul is so certain that God is there, God is real, God is powerful, and He's going to do something. We need to know when I pray somebody listens and when I ask something is going to happen. But here's what you and I need to know today that I think are answered in these verses. We need to know, is God real? Is He really there? We need to know that and not just give a Christian response. Does He really love me? Does He care when I'm hurt? Does God know when I'm lonely? Will anything happen if I pray? Will He really want me after all I have done? I think those are really down-to-earth questions in the hearts of all of us. And the text says this, God answered with a star, Bethlehem. God answered with the cross of Calvary. God answered with the church here in this community. 
And one day God will answer with His coming. God is real. He cares. He knows. He feels. He will do something. And we need to know this about God. But there's this struggle I'm going to end with here in the lesson today. And our struggle really is who's going to wear the cross and who's going to wear the crown. Somebody said, if you wear the cross, you put, you put the crown on Jesus. But if you wear the crown, you put the cross on Jesus. Now, what does all of that mean? Well, it means there's this constant struggle who's going to be boss. And we answer that question loud and clear when we say, it's my life, isn't it? All you're saying is, I got the crown. I'm the one. And we even say about church, I don't like that. You know, watch out. Be real careful when you say that. Now, it could be legitimate. You understand? But it could also be because we are so stubbornly convinced, I want everything my way. I don't want Jesus with a crown on. I want the crown. We always have that struggle. And it isn't possible at all for us to wear the crown without Jesus wearing the cross. That's why Jesus said to us, if any man follows me, he's going to have to take up his cross. And that's why we read the gospel is what? It's the death, cross, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And how do you obey the gospel? Well, let's see, Romans 6 talks about, don't you guys know that every one of you who was baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We use those verses to prove baptism, and it really does in a powerful way. But he proves more than that, not just doctrinally. You die on the cross of your sins. You're buried with Jesus in baptism and you're raised to walk in newness of life. That is marvelously true. But a lot of people can go into that water without putting on the cross. And without the cross in your life, that water doesn't do you any good at all. If you haven't died, you can be buried, but you're not going to raise to walk in newness of life. There is no new life without a death. Jesus explained that one time about seed. He said, seed doesn't reproduce unless it dies first. And we know that even when we plant a garden. We've got to put, so what are seeds? They're dead things. That's what shrivels up, dries up, and falls off the tree. Dead. Put it in the ground, comes to life. And he even uses that with Romans 6 to say, my brothers and sisters, you've got to put the cross on in order to put the crown on Jesus. So watch it in the church about who wears the crown. Watch it about I like it this way and I want it this way. Now, we want it God's way, understand that. And we want the Bible to have its way. We do want that, but too often that really isn't the case. I just want my way. We can talk about music or whatever. And one person said, one person said to me last week, what do you think about this contemporary music? Well, the funny thing about contemporary just means of this age. But too often, we want music and everything else in the church our way. And I don't care who you are, liberal or conservative, that's the wrong thing. We ought to be concerned with Jesus' way, with getting Him worshipped, putting the cross on Jesus. And the only way to do that is put uh, the crown on Jesus. Excuse me. Putting the crown on Jesus is to put the cross on you. I'm going to close this lesson today and tell you about a movie. 
That's weird, isn't it? And I walk on shaky ground, but I'm going to promise you that this movie is one of the most powerful things about teaching about God. And it's found in the most ridiculous place. I absolutely do not like Jim Carrey. So when the movie, Bruce Almighty, maybe I would like to ask, you know, I'm not going to. How many of y'all saw the movie? I think if you did, you'd be ashamed to say so. But I'm going to say to you that it's one of the best things I ever did is go see that movie. Somebody told me you ought to go, and I said, shoot, I don't even like Jim Carrey. I don't like his stuff. No, no, they said, you ought to go. You're going to be glad you did. And I went. And I went skeptical like most of us will do, first of all. And I heard some of the words that I don't like to see in movies. And I saw some of the things that I didn't like at all. And then gradually it began to dawn on me that in this fiction story, and I would really like to know if this guy had this in mind when he made the movie. But Bruce thought he ought to get the anchor job on television and they gave it to somebody else. And boy, he is upset. And he is, you know, you God, you suck, he said. And God, you're, where are you? And yeah, you did this. He was really vilifying God. And I thought, ooh, this is bad stuff. And so finally, through some really funny things in the movies, a cell phone that breaks and cars run over it and it's still calling him and telling him he has an appointment at this place. He meets God, who is a black guy about six feet tall, who does a really good job playing God. And he said, Bruce, frankly, he said, I'm God. And frankly, I'm a little bit sick of you. And he said, so you think you could do my job better? And finally, Bruce gets up and I mean, anybody could do your job better. I'll tell you what. And he starts telling God all the things he's done that really is good. And God says, fine, Bruce, I'm going to give you my job. I need a vacation anyway, he says. I'm going off. You're God from now on. And you've got all of my powers. Well, he doesn't understand this. You know, and a couple of unusual things happen in the movie about he walks along and all of a sudden he sits down when he's finally thinking, am I really God? Then I can do God's miracles. And he sits down in a cafe and they bring him a bowl of tomato soup. He's got the Red Sea in a bowl. And he decides, okay, if I'm really God, and the soup parts. You know, he does a lot of funny things. And a lot of other things happen. And finally, when he realizes he's God, he does what we would do if we were God. Use it on yourself. He's got a girlfriend that he's living with. And he wants to have a really beautiful, romantic, sexual night with her. So he says to the moon, and he brings that moon in. I mean, it is. But he has the greatest night. It's the most romantic thing. And they wake up in the morning, and boy, is he ever happy. Woo! This God stuff is great. And then over the radio, they tell about thousands of people that died because of the tides that caused floods because of the moon coming closer. And that's all I'm going to tell you about the movie. I don't want to... But, but to say to you that he finds out miserably that when he does it his way, it is absolute chaos. And then God comes back to him and says, kind of hard, isn't it? You know, you're answering all these prayers and all this kind of stuff. Well, now, okay, that's enough about the movie to say to you three things are loud and clear in that movie. And we're illustrated so down to earth. Number one, we are not equipped to run our world. And most of us really believe we are. And when we become God, we mess things up. And the real reason most people mess up their lives in Tulia, Texas, 
is because they are playing God and doing it their way. Number, lesson number two, God knows what He's doing. Boy, do we ever need to know that. Kids wonder, why do I reach sexual peak at 16 and God put sex in marriage? What is, what is, what's that all about? And God must be, God knows what He's doing. You play the game His way, it's going to work. You don't play it His way and you're going to be in trouble. And our whole world is an evidence that that is so. The third lesson is when you do things God's way, it works. It works out. One scene I do have to tell you in the movie, and then that's enough. But he's trying real hard to make this girl love him. He wants to marry her. And God, of course, tells him, you can do anything you want. You can bring in that moon, anything else, but you can't mess with free will. And that's what God doesn't do. He doesn't mess with our free will. And at one time, all these miracles of God has only driven his girlfriend further away from him. And Bruce says to God, I just want her to love me. And God says, Now you know how I feel. Because God just wants us to love Him. Isn't that amazing? And that if we will bow to His sovereignty and see Him in all of His glory and fall on our faces, if only figuratively, before Him and let Him have His way in our lives, it's going to be good. That's kind of profoundly simple. Okay. In the worship we'll talk about honor and respect for the Word of God. Thank you for being in class this morning.